episode, Afina Tamarapa talks to kaitahu musician, composer and writer Ruby Soli. The pair cover memorable experiences, influential people and interesting ways that traditional Māori music can be fused with Western traditional instruments. Whakarongo maira. Tātūrana te nākau ki a rangi nui e tūi honei, kia papatua nuku e tāko tōnei, ki ngā pauwhare o ngā tipuna e whakaro nui ana ki ngā tangata katoa. E whakatua ki ai ko te ngākau mārama ki roto ki tēnā ki tēnā o tātou. E whakahonua ki te kiko kiko ki te wairua, hei manaki, hei mahi i a mātou. Nō reira, tūturu whakamaua ki a tīnā, tīnā, haumi e hui e, tāki e. Whakarongo mai ki te tangi a te manuti ori ori, e tau nei te tihi o tangi i te kio. Tā kiri ko te atahi runga i te whanganui a tara, e ngurunguru nei e. Tēnā kautaka toa e whakarongo mai ki tēnei kōrero rero, i runga i te kaupapa o te kāhui haumanu ko te reo. Greetings everyone, I'm Afina Tamarapa, Haumanu Collective brings to you Ororua, a special podcast series of rich and insightful interviews with practitioners and advocates of the Taonga Puoro community. I'm privileged to introduce the exceptional Ruby Soli. Ruby is an accomplished Taonga Puoro practitioner, musician, composer and poet. Her recent debut poetry collection, Tōku Pāpā, published by Te Heringa Waka Victoria University Press in 2021, was longlisted for the prestigious Ockham New Zealand Book Awards 2022 in the Mary and Peter Biggs category for poetry. Ruby released Pōneke, her debut album, in 2020 and is completing a PhD in public health Exploring the use of Taonga Puoro in Hauoro Māori. Ka mau te wehi e hine. Te ora. Maha o pukenga, me tō kaingākau ki te hapainga o ngā taonga anga kui mākoroma. Tēnā koe, Ruby. Tēnā koe, Afina. Kei te wehia. Kei te tino pai. <laughs> Kōrero mai, ko wai koe no hea koe, just introduce yourself. Ko wai au, ko aura ki te mauka, ko kaitahu, rātou ko waitaha, ko kā te māmoe o ki iwi, ko waihao te marae, ko ropa tōku ekoa whānau o kaitahu, ko Ruby May Hini Pūnui Soli tōku ekoa, 
no reira tēnā koutou katoa. Engari, e tipuaki a hau, kei rā roti e mauka o Ruapehu, o te whenua o Tuwhare Toa, Rauakorotorua hoki, um, ko te whenua o Tearoa. I grew up in the North Island, away from our whenua, but I grew up under Kurawai Aroha from Tuwhare Toa and Tearoa and other iwi from around that area and was really lucky to get to learn Tonga Pūroa as part of my schooling when I was in primary school at the at the very start, along with Western music. I played guitar as well when I was kind of five, six, seven. So I had both musics kind of going simultaneously, which gave me a, an understanding of, of how lots of different parts of myself makes music, which I'm very grateful for now as, as an adult and always grateful for to that place as well for all of the kind of music that is, is in that place and in those traditions from those iwi too, as well as our um, very manawahine rich taongapuro, taukapuro traditions that we have down south that I'm also very lucky to be a part of. Yeah. Wow. That's fantastic, Ruby. So what instruments do you specialise in? In terms of taonga pūro, um, I first started playing kōwaua when I was kind of five, six, seven-ish. I had a teacher called Maria Kappa who used to always um, bring kind of singing and she used to play kōwaua in our, in our class. It was um, a normal part of our classroom activities and she used to, she sent us off to find things to try and make kuawa ourselves and I remember making trying to carve pumice ones and trying to make clay ones and having clay ones that made some sounds and, and learning from that and so I'm always very very grateful to her and kuawa has kind of continued to be probably my main instrument out of Taungapuro but I play a lot of them kind of what I've, what I've had access to from all of the beautiful kind of koha and making experiences I've got to have and in terms of, of Western instruments, cello is my main instrument. I started that when I was about seven and never stopped and went through that at uni as well. But I kind of play, I think like many Māori who work in music, I've got the ability to see what I know from one way of music and translate that to other instruments. So I play a bit of mandolin, a bit of trombone, a bit of piano, a bit of guitar, a bit of whatever's around really. Amazing. So you have interwoven Māori and non-Māori music together into your, I guess, practice? Yeah, yeah. I often, when I talk to younger people about it, I often call it like a musical whakapapa and kind of having those two things. And like whakapapa, you can't be like, okay, I'm going to take out that bit I don't like. <laughs> or like, I'm, I'm not going to think about these particular ancestors when I'm doing this particular activity. Like, it's all... It's all in there all the time. And I think that, yeah, especially in the way I think about Western music, I often think about it in the way I think about playing Taonga Pūro with that that wider relationship of that kind of, you know, that ahau tapu, that the whakapapa, all those things that connect you to something bigger within the music comes through in both the Western and the, and the Māori music for me. Right. Has that been from a young age? Yeah, I think that was something that I was doing but didn't realise I was doing. And I think... Being from communities that really value both kinds of music and there's no kind of hierarchy to say this is the right way and this is the way the natives are doing it. <laughs> it was, was just kind of like these are the ways we do this. And yeah, and even when I was kind of, I say relearning because I didn't have access to Tongapiro for a while there when I was kind of late primary school to, to uni age. And kind of when I was doing that relearning 
process. Like there was never kind of any, this is different to this, or it was just kind of made sense to fuse Kuowo with someone playing a, a pop song they liked and follow those lines and try to follow the kind of Māori of that song if it was about love, which is what Kuowo was traditionally played for, or if it was about something else and just kind of, you're always figuring out the direction of that moral compass of the song and adding it in. Yeah. Wow. Obviously, music's been part of your life from a young age. So when did you decide that this would be the main thing that you'd pursue in your life? <laughs> oh, man, this is real funny. I say as a teenager, but actually it's still the case now. There's book stacks all over my house. I'm a big nerd. That's kind of one of my roles in the whānau pūro, whānau taonga pūro, is to be a big nerd. And I had big book stacks. And I said that whatever stack reached the ceiling first was what I was going to do. And the music stack reached the ceiling first when I was like 15. I was like, okay, I guess I'll go hard at that one. Wow. <laughs> I was into that, but I was into a lot of things. And I never thought that I was doing music now and I'm going to quit everything else. And a lot of, I guess a lot of teachers and a lot of people around me thought that would be a good idea to pick one thing and go really hard. But I think that from my Māori whānau and from Māori mentors and people I was also watching you know, even like look at Hidane, like he was a player, but he was also a composer. He's written children's books. He's done work, you know, like he's expert on tuhuetanga. And just kind of realising that you don't have to just focus everything into one thing, but you can have all these intersecting kind of ecosystems that help everything else to thrive, I think was a big realisation for me and has continued to be a really good way of working. Like poetry and pūroa definitely correlated in my head as well. Absolutely. And you are uh, a star now <laughs> in terms of the poetry world and music too. And you mm. seem to be continuing to weave through all your whakapapa into uh, a creative space and creating space for Māori to express themselves, I, I must say. So yeah. um, do you want to just talk a bit more about your album, festival? Yeah, totally. Um, and just to like quickly touch on that, I think that Everything I make comes not from a lack of resources, like why weren't there resources, but a lack of resources and visibility and there's really valid reasons for those. And I think, you know, creating things isn't necessarily the biggest priority for Māori when survival is the biggest priority a lot of the time. But I think being Māori and being a Māori creative has really taught me that you know, looking at our histories, it can take generations to create something and moments to take it away. So you can look at that in two ways. You could look at that as let's never create anything ever again, why bother? Or you can look at that as let's create as much as possible and be free with it and try have things survive and those things that survive will keep going. And I think that's a really beautiful motivator that in creating those resources and, you know, and because there weren't a lot of resources for me kind of as a young kaitahu woman outside of the takiwa and... Yeah, so I get to create resources for people like that. And Kahu Kutia speaks about this, about how her, her, her target audience is a like a young tuhoi teenager and like what she would want them to be able to see and be able to, to develop. And part of that was working on that album. So at the start, I was just making it for myself. So it was taking my tonga pūro, going into places where I knew the history or knew I had whakapapa to that place through Kāti Mamoi and Kaitahu who travelled through Pōneke on their way down south. 
and then kind of thinking about those connections and playing with the environment and recording in that place and then layering it up with cello at home so that the Western instrument had to sink to sink to the puro that was sinking to the environment that was sinking to the history. So like a complete role reversal of I'm inspired by this historical event. I'm going to write a classical piece about it and I'm going to chuck a, a kawawa on the top doing some some long tones. So that really helped me change how I thought about playing cello and how I thought about the relationship when the cello was the supporting role. And also it was a really powerful learning experience because I was looking at some of the Pākehā history and looking at some of the Māori history and the personal history and, and how those events had affected the landscape and how that affects the puro because that's what we're playing from. And yeah, it was a, it was a great process. And then people really liked it, which was this, you know, complete bonus. <laughs> I know you've talked a bit about your journey in Puro, but um, who have been your influences? I feel quite lucky because I'm, I kind of get occasionally called and sometimes I hate it and sometimes I love it, but kind of like the little sister of the Tonga Puro community because I'm the youngest, uh, one of the youngest. There's also um, Hida, who's an incredible player too, um, and a few others. But I'm really lucky that everyone has has spent time with me. And I think that's kind of like what comes from being in a community or, you know, like if it was an iwi, what would come from being in an iwi hapu marae is that you get access to different whakaro and contrasting perspectives and contrasting ideas for the future. And you get to kind of see all of that and navigate what you want and what you think your role is. I'm really lucky Though that Alyssa Fraser and Ariana Tikal are kind of like my pearl parents. Like I play in bands with them and they were both really instrumental, <laughs> instrumental when I first kind of started playing again as a, when I was, I was about 20. So probably about five years ago. Yeah, five or six years ago now. And yeah, they've been really beautiful, really supportive people the whole way along. And Hini Weirangi as well. Hini Weirangi's, you know, Nan. Yeah, but everybody, honestly, I've had... I've had amazing support from everyone I've come into contact with in Puro. Wow. Just focusing now on on your future adventures and the types of things that you want to explore, do you want to just talk yeah. a bit about that? Well, I guess that kind of stems too from where my current kind of body of work is. So I'm, I'm working on my PhD, which is a lot, but has also been really positive and really great journey but um yeah <laughs> but it's it's been really rewarding and so I'm working on looking at our Tonga Puro and how they have been used in Hawaii Māori pre-Pākehā what was kind of post first contact observed what was kind of done under the Tohunga Suppression Act but under underground and then looking at what's kind of been happening since the revival in terms of of Hawaii and also looking at what we what we can be doing and what we know works, but we're not implementing yet. And there's this really interesting, and you know, it's been positive having so much of our tonga puro on the stage and, and in our music and all these things. But what that can do with what can be a Pakia way of thinking in some ways, but can also just be like a modern way of thinking when we put things in boxes, is that we kind of forget that these are also tools that we use around the home. These are tools we use for specific purposes. These things that everybody can use. You don't have to be, you know, the most incredible 
kōwowo player to sit by your awa and play kōwowo to mahi to something that you're connected to and do it in a reo Māori that's also a reo Māori as well as te reo Māori and something that might be easier to access for somebody who's, for example, like further on in their life and might have dementia or something like that and might not be able to learn or might, might, might not be able to access that. And so just looking at all these tools that we were left and how we can use them for our hauora. So that's that's kind of a big dream for me. That's where I see my work going. And I think even when I'm making works that are not kind of health-based stuff, it's all health-based because it'll be, well, the last one I did was a, a suite of pieces about different stars and different histories around different stars. Even if you know those things and then you have a relationship with with the sky above you and knowing what time of year it is because you can see the Southern Cross at a specific place, all those things. That's something that's going to hold you a lot closer so that is a health thing. So I think it's all kind of comes back to health-based stuff for me at the moment. Mm, okay. Your PhD. <laughs> PhDs are a huge amount of work, obviously. It takes years and a lot of thinking. And you are exploring Taonga Puoro in terms of Hauora Māori, yeah. which you started with in your Masters. Do you notice any differences that Taonga Puoro can make to the health of people in your mahi and in your process of research? Yeah, definitely. I think in Taonga Puoro, it is a real Māori and there is a lot of there's a lot of confidence that can be gained from letting people speak a real Māori that they've been wanting to speak for a long time. And I think as well, it's giving people something that they can pass on, you know, and it's that idea that you don't have to be an expert to pass on pieces of information that really become sacred in the transference. You know, like if you, if you show your child who might have ADHD, which is something we've seen working with um, Porotiti, and you pass that on, and then one day they pass that on to somebody else. Like that that one quick action has a lot of, of kind of long-term effects. And kind of it's normalising. There's a huge amount of work around normalising. And I know that Ariana was working with a group of kaitahu midwives around this, so just kind of normalising the use of taonga pilro in the home and in families, and that's often done through women as well. So there's a real manawahine element. And we've got, you know, there's a lot of amazing women working in, in Taonga Pilro. Like if you think of that as a legacy, so Kahu and Kali and Aroha and Ariana Mahina, and there's so many more. It's a beautiful space to be in. that you'd like people to know about in terms of what you're doing and important messages for people who are wanting to engage with Taonga Puoro? Mm, interesting, like the rules of engagement. <laughs> this is a really interesting question and it's one I actually think about all the time because I have, across the years, had a lot of people come to me asking about Taonga Puoro and I used to be very kind of, here's everything I know, this is how it is. Um, from my perspective, this is everything I have. And I'm a little bit more, not guarded, but I kind of want to know you before you know what's probably the most special thing I have in my life to hold <laughs> at this point in time. So I think there's a real benefit to knowing who you are and why you want to engage before engaging, especially for non-Māori. For Māori, I think knowing that like, your tipuna 
were innovators. Your tipuna used music as a language. Your tipuna used music casually in the home. There was no embarrassment. There was no, you know, it's not kind of a getting up on the stage and doing a talent quest thing. It's a, it's a, this is an everyday thing. But I think when I, I've had experiences with Pākehā coming to me and it's been kind of slightly off, but I think it's not because they don't, they shouldn't be there. I think it's because there's work that needs to happen before you're there of knowing who you are and what you have to offer as well. I mean, because this is what we're offering you. There's kind of, yeah, I've like I've had some experiences with people who play other instruments. Like I've had a harpist come to me and be like, I really want to work with Tonga Puro. And then we ended up working together with kind of harp and Puro and, and they'll do some pieces and I've learned more about what they can do and and everybody gets a, a broader understanding. And in a way, that's the building of whakapapa, right? Like we talk about whakapapa in a family tree way, but it's almost like building a consciousness of neurons connecting. And that's that neuron connecting with, with that part and then everything gets closer. So I think in terms of engaging, that's a really good thing to think about is, is kind of what you have and why and who you are and what you're looking at moving towards. Mm, exactly. And also the tikanga around mm. that sort of engagement, isn't there? There needs to be an awareness and an understanding of reciprocation, respect. Yeah, sort of, you need to sit with a quiet empathy, I think, because, you know, there's nothing worse than someone coming up to you and being like, well, racism, right? <laughs> like, it's like never going to be a fun chat. And you're like, yes, I can tell this is going to be a conversation with zero nuance. But there is a real kind of someone sitting there and holding that space for you and being able to be in that place and understand what's happening in the wider history of things that have, have happened and not just seeing it as, as nice sounds on a surface level. And having that deeper empathy gives you a bigger understanding of not just Tangupu at all, but of Te Ao Māori and of the country you live in. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to engage in that way. For sure. Would you like to just describe some really memorable experiences that you've had in terms of Tangupu yeah, we were just talking before about playing for people getting moko. And I was really lucky to play for Tamihana, who will be on another one of these podcasts, I think, for him getting his mata ora, which was a, a really special experience. And, and getting to play for somebody in that context. I played for him first, and then like a couple of weeks later, I got my hands done by um, Viani Parata. So seeing him go through it and seeing him focus on the puro and kind of being in that intuitive space where you, you want to select instruments that are going to bring out certain things. Like you might want to pick a putangi tangi, which I can grab. Here's one I prepared earlier. <laughs> which kind of brings out that, you know, the, the crying nanny, that that tangi but then there's also things like it's really helpful when you're around pain it's a painful experience to kind of bring out that straight it's almost like a straight line where you can focus right through something which is more like done on maybe kowowo yeah and so you're kind of picking you're picking things for that person in that moment. If you were to think about it in kind of a Western context, it's almost like a 
improvising just for an audience of, of one or, you know, composing just for an audience of one in that moment. And then when I had my, which I realised when I had my hands done, I had Al and Ariana and Sam Palmer as well. And I think that my partner might have played a few little bits and bobs as well, which was really special. And just being able to focus on those sounds. And I had um, some toka, some tumutumu percussion from Waiha, from the Waitaha tradition, which is having, we have lots of round flat stones on our beaches. So it's like a, a tradition of playing those. And yeah, it just really made me feel the presence of those places and those things were there and I could follow and keep my, my brain on that line to kind of not not feel the pain, but also to kind of be with it as well. And that was a really special experience. I played for Ariana's Mokokowai as well. And I remember walking in, it was the first time I'd met Mahina, uh, Mahina Kingikawi, who's an incredible practitioner as well. And I hadn't actually met her yet, but I walk, just walked in and she just kind of looked at me. And I went and stood by her and played. And we just played together for Ariana's kawai for, you know, that, that time before we'd even spoke. Our first conversation was in Puro. And I often think about that and I feel like I knew her really well after that conversation and being able to kind of focus on somebody else's need. And I think playing in Te Ao Māori really makes me think a lot about audience and about audience size because, you know, you're playing for, an, in a way you're playing with an audience because you're reacting to what they're doing and this idea that everything they do is, is, is oral. And which is so different to what we would do. Like it would be really weird to sit and play violin to one person, but you can, like it's fine. That'd be quite cute and romantic really. And it made me think a lot about that. And I think during these times of kind of COVID where people are in their, in their whānau unit a lot more, that's a really powerful thing to think about, to think about what audience needs to look like and how audience and contributor to the, the music or the oral can change and move. You know, there's it's really rewarding just kind of playing around and making sounds with a child who's playing and playing almost like a soundtrack to what they're doing and seeing them react and slow down and change. Those experiences have been really special. Some other really special ones have been working with children who are just so awesome with what they'll try. There's, they haven't got this whakama that we can have as adults and it's beautiful to watch them just pick something up and if it doesn't work straight away, they just go, oh, and we put it down, they pick up something else. And I remember... I went to Kurareo Kaitahu a few years ago and I definitely wasn't ready to go, but everyone was like, ah, oh, you'll be fine, it'll be all good. But I was really surprised that I had, I kind of had enough reo to be able to teach puro to kids because it was, you know, it was quite easy. It was easy to, to tell them where to put things and what to do and if they couldn't quite get it, just to reassure them and, and that modelling. And it taught me a lot about how we must have done that back in the day and also how much we can learn just from from discovering things ourselves and how I think often that's our preferred way and how that's really special because we get so much variation and it was beautiful hearing all these all these kids this is pre-covid times by the way all playing you know just opening my kid up and being like play whatever you want go for it and just all these kids just scattered around the the marae just trying things out and and playing things and just thinking that for some of them, that's going to be a really core memory. Because for me, I can remember, you know, a teacher sitting at the front of the room and playing kōwawa and being like, oh, if you guys want to, like, lie down, you can. And being like, oh, this feels so good. Like, when I close my eyes, I'm I'm somewhere else and this is really safe for me. And being like, man, this is, I get to now 
help to craft some of those memories. So that's a really special place to be in. Kapoi. Okay, I want to take us from those really awesome memories yeah. to maybe let's have a bit of a cordial about some of the challenges that you see the Tonga Puoro movement face today. Yeah, and I think all of our challenges don't stem from us. <laughs> and I can and I say that in a way that I love I love Haumanu, I love the Tonga Puoro movement. I love all of our elders and I have a lot of empathy and understanding for everything that I know about that's happened. But I think also that there is some problems kind of in the academic sphere in the way that media and other things don't share our narrative. So we don't know what each other's doing. So I've been working, interviewing a lot of our elders around the country for some of my research and just finding out about people that aren't people that I know or that I know through other people, is really hard because we there's not a million news stories on Tonga Puro. You know, like a Tonga Puro album comes out, there's not a big lot of fanfare about it. And I understand that in some ways. And in some ways, I feel that it's actually a disadvantage because it means that we don't get to form those connections and we don't get to stumble across things like Western musicians might. And connecting all those things up is a really big thing to make sure that we all understand what each other's doing. But with that said, then there's this reverse side of the coin where Tonga Puro is quite trendy in academia right now. And just the thought of any ancient thing that, like we are kaitiaki of Tonga Puro as Māori and as Tonga Puro practitioners, to have something become trendy in that space is really troubling. You know, it's trendy as something like, I don't know, What's trendy at the moment? I've been trendy in a long time. Chokers. Chokers are trendy. Or bubble tea is trendy. <laughs> Not like an entire, um, you know, musical tradition that has whakapapa back to kātua Māori. And yeah, so that's troubling. And I think that when that happens and we don't have many resources written by our own people because we were too busy doing the actual mahi to document it, it can be easy to get in there and be like, I'm the first person to do this. This is my research. This is what this is when no one else has got the chance to get in there. And so there's a lot of work at the moment. There's several academics working to kind of document our outers and all these people who've done all this work to say, hey, we've got to get this down and say it was you because we don't want it to look like in 50 years time if something happens that this is how it was because it isn't accurate. So that's part of why I'm doing the work I'm doing now, to be that documenter and, you know, to help all of us be good kaitiaki because we're not always a written resources people, but those written resources are really important. They're, they're kind of as as important as the way we teach orally and how we are in that space. And trying to make them as Māori as possible and as easy to understand for us and beautiful. Like I think resources can be really beautiful. Um, I really enjoyed creating a model as part of my master's. The idea is that you're sitting in there in a circle of, of po, of seven po, that you can mihi to with your pūro of um, pakiwaitara, so kind of like narratives, or manawahine, acknowledging like the female atua and that presence within there, te taia, so we're not acknowledging the materials that those things come from and relationship with the environment. Mana, acknowledging like the mana of, and this was for working in a psychiatric context, so it was the manner of the of the client, the manner of the patient, of 
he tangata fai order of the person seeking wellness and saying, you still have mana in that space. The inherent spirituality of wairua, like there are all these things and it's something you can visualise physically being within rather than just kind of saying, here are seven things that Māori care about <laughs> when they're doing this work. So yeah, and I think that in time this push will actually be good because it will push our people and our allies who are genuine, beautiful people to do that work in a way that's going to benefit multiple generations and not have any, you know, it's like it can have that egoless space where it's like this is to help us as Māori, this is he koha aroha, he mahi aroha. And then we've got a long tradition of mahi aroha with Hidane and Richard and Brian, yeah. Wow. That is cool. As you were talking and describing all of those po, uh, it made me think about cultural pedagogy. Mm. In a way, to me, what you're describing is a, a whare taonga or whare hauora with those po being a type of teaching pedagogy yeah. that is indigenous. Yeah. That would be almost akin to something that, you know, Mason, Matsuwood, Mason Jury, you know, with the whare tapawha. Completely, yeah. Yeah, in terms of healing. Yeah, and that's what's so beautiful about how we do things is that they're both somehow very focused, but also very, very broad. Like you could look at the whare tapawha and your relationship with Taonga Puuru and put them on top of each other and understand how, you know, taking your Puuru and going for a haere up into up into the bush, up into a significant place is Tahatinana, is Tahawairua. Yeah, it's all the different Taha can be covered within that activity. It's proof that our technology is real and it works and it is a technology, a Māori technology. Mm-hmm. I should give some like last advice for like Tonga Puru players. I think try and spend time with other Tonga Puru players. And spending time in real life is the best thing to do if you can. We're in a, this interesting kind of Zoom age and obviously always stay safe. But there's something you get just from sitting and being with other people and sharing that space, that physical space, is a really important thing. And also you'll get to watch and see how other people play and what they're doing and and how that becomes you. And you kind of become a group of people who all all share these things. Um, and that's, yeah, I think that's really important. And that's what our tipuna would have done as well. I don't think it would have been the one lone Puro Ranger, just like, <laughs> I like, that would be a cool comic book series and I'd totally read it. But, um, you know, I think that having having those groups, having those conversations, having those, you know, doing that mahi Puro together is really really, really important. And I think as well, this seems to be pretty dispelled by this point in time, but I think it always bears saying that wahine were Tonga Puro players, wahine are Tonga Puro players, takatapui were Tonga Puro players, are Tonga Puro players, and that nothing around that needs to stop you. There are some tikanga of certain places where certain people don't play certain things at certain times or things like that. Talk to your community about that in your iwi, but as a general rule, it's a safe practice for you to do, and it was, and it comes from, you know, from wahine takatapui, from from the home into the fano into te ao. That's more than enough reason. Kapoi, kamai tuhi hine, e te tuhi hine, 
Ahenerau ka tauri ngā mihi nui nā mihi aroha ki a koe tēnei wā. Thanks for having me. It was oh, lovely. Amazing. Ka mihi nui nui mō mō tātawa kōrero e tēnei rā, he rau e te kōrero, he atāhu e te kōrero o te kaupapa o Hinerau ka tauri. Aira, aira. <laughs> Oh